Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 377 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We're here for the good times. We're also here for the not so good times. And uh, this may be one of those not so good times. <laughs> I'm Jason Evans. I'm hosting uh, this this episode this fine Sunday morning on the heels of a uh, late Saturday night loss for the Blue Devils to the Miami Hurricanes. We will talk all about it in a matter of moments. Uh, we will also preview what is suddenly a far more important game perhaps than we had thought <laughs> coming up this week against Wake Forest. And to do that, I am joined as I always am by Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Sam, I come to you first. I like that you're wearing your Duke cap this morning. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, instill a bit of a bit of positivity. Donald's also got a, a Duke shirt on today. I will say that the the best thing that I watched on TV yesterday is the is part three of the Beatles Get Back documentary, which I finally got around to. I hadn't over the last month. Uh, if you are somehow putting it off and you are any kind of Beatles fan, it is extremely fun. So I recommend uh, watching the Get Back documentary because it'll put you in a much better mood than the Duke game did. <laughs> uh, yeah, Donald, how's your mood? Speaking of moods. Uh, well, I feel fortunate that I actually was not able to go down to Durham for this game. Uh, because of the weather this week here in DC. And also as we speak, it, there's freezing rain. So getting back would have been an issue. So uh, my friends and I actually decided on Friday not to go. And my streak still remains intact. Every time I've been to Cameron since I graduated college, I've gone once a year other than the COVID year of 2021. Um, every single time I've gone down there, I've seen this win. So I guess that streak's intact. But who knows what could happen if I made it down. Uh, yeah, so so let's get to what happened. Um, the Blue Devils lose to Miami 76 to 74. By the way, before we even get to headlines or anything else, I do want to sort of shout out, tip the cap, whatever you want to say, to our preview of this contest in which Donald, no, seriously, I, I, Sam is laughing at me, but hey, you know, uh, Donald quite accurately said um, that Miami was a team that was not afraid to take bad shots and, and make them. Um, he pointed out that Charlie Moore of Miami is, has unlimited range and never saw a shot. He wasn't interested in perhaps exploring. Um, I said Miami was a great offensive team, but a really poor defensive team, but I was a little bit worried that they might get geeked up for this game and play pretty good on defense. Lo and behold, I think all those things are the story <laughs> of how Miami beat, beat the blue devils to some extent. Um, so, so if you haven't listened to the recap, uh, not sorry, not the recap, the preview, the preview was, uh, was, was pretty, um, uh, I don't know, I guess prescient, you would say. In, in any event, uh, we, we should do things the proper order, and, and let's start with our headlines. Um, Donald, what, what, what's your headline for this victory where uh, your Miami team beat your Duke team? Steals the name of the game as Hurricanes Rock Duke. I like that. That works. Hurricanes rock Duke, little scorpions, little scorpions happening there. Sam, how about you? What's your headline? Uh, I had experienced Trump's talent tonight. Uh, lots of teas there. That's what I, I, I couldn't come up with something more clever. And I tried to, to, to wedge turnovers in there as well, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't figure it out. I, my creative side of my brain this morning wasn't quite up to snuff. Uh, yeah. So I also went to the teas. I did the alliteration thing as I quite often do. Mine is turnovers and tough shots too much in Miami triumph. I, I think we've sort of heard what we all think was the story of the game, but 
uh, before we get, and a lot of those are, are bad things. Let's, let's get to the good, first of all. Um, Sam, I will come to you first. You, you had to see some positive from Duke in this game, right? Yeah, I actually see a positive in the fact that Duke's bench is shortening and that Coach K is, is figuring out a rotation that he really wants to rely on. We know that Coach K doesn't want an eight or nine man rotation headed into the postseason. And it feels like from the last couple games, we are getting to what Duke's rotation is going to look like down the stretch, which is the starting five that it's been all year and AJ Griffin as the super sub. And Griffin has, he's continued to look really strong. Uh, even, even in this game, there were, there were those moments. He had a couple big shots. Um, he plays really good defense. And the great thing about him is that he can come in and spell basically anyone else on the team and give the team a totally different look. So he can come in and, and take Mark Williams's place, which pushes Paulo to the five and plays sort of death lineup the way that Jason was explaining the other day. He can come in and spell Wendell Moore. He can spell Paulo Bancaro. He can, he can kind of do it all as a, as a bench guy. And so it might end up being, I think if you want to take the, the most positive thing away from this week where, where Duke did not, I think have their, their best week of the season, AJ Griffin being the super sub and being able to give Duke all these different looks off the bench is actually a great development for this team and, and could lead to really great wins down the road where they're able to frustrate other teams who aren't able to prepare for all the different looks that Griffin gives. So I've got an AJ Griffin comment and I, and I agree with you. I thought AJ had um, yet another really good game for Duke. You know, we talked a, a bit lately about the fact that he always seems to lead the team in plus minus. He, he didn't quite in this game. Um, Wendell Moore was plus four. AJ Griffin was plus three. So AJ didn't quite lead the team in plus minus. He came very, very, very close though. Um, but uh, my AJ Griffin comment is this. I think that Duke needs to figure out, and I, you know, we're talking about the rotation here, Sam, and, and, and you're very, you're very accurate in pointing out that, that coach K has, um, has squeezed this down to pretty much a six man rotation with Joey Baker, you know, getting five or six minutes. Um, I think Duke needs to find a way to get AJ Griffin, Paulo Bancaro, and Mark Williams on the floor together. Look, I I know I'm the guy who touted, you know, the 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 potential of the death lineup where where we go a little bit smaller with AJ at the four. Um, but I would love to see if we can find a way to get those three guys on the floor together because uh Paulo is our best offensive player. Um, I think Mark Williams is our best clearly our best rim protector and and in this game we had we had issues protecting the rim when he wasn't in there um and and yet aj brings you know all these intangibles and all you know i think he brings positives on on both sides of the ball i i would just love to especially i think last night when i feel like there were some guys who are really struggling i would have loved for duke to have figured out a way to get those three guys who i think were three of the guys who were playing better than pretty much everybody else into the game together I don't want to name names too much, but I, I Trevor, I, I, can, I can say it for you, Jason. If, if Wendell Moore is the best ball handler on this team, and if AJ Griffin is the best shooter on this team, which we've been talking about recently, then Jeremy, both Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keels can spend more time on the bench. And yeah. And, and I, I, I I'll, I'll get to the, I'll get to the last minute of the game when we get to the bad, but, but that's, that's sort of what you're looking at is, is AJ Griffin can, can fill in in ways that makes this team um, uh, like a little bit more dynamic, even if he's filling in for the guards. 
I will say, though, I, I think the reason why you didn't see that as much last night is because I thought Trevor Keels was the most, uh, I guess, comfortable with the ball in his hands for most of the game. Wendell Moore, you're right, is probably our best ball handler and at least our most versatile player. But Trevor Keels deserved to be out there last night because there was times where when we needed to calm down, he was the guy that had the ball in his hands and he was the one that was being much, you know, much more comfortable with distributing the basketball. Well, and it's worth noting that Trevor Keels, even though he was two of 11 from the field, he, he, he was bad when he shot the ball. <laughs> and we'll get to his final shot before the game is over. That, that final shot, though, wow. Okay, but, uh, but Trevor Kills had no turnovers. And when we get to the bad, we're going to be talking about turnovers when we get to the bad, believe me. Uh, but we still need to talk more about the good. Uh, Donald, I toss it to you. What else did you have to say on, on the good side about Duke this game? Uh, I think this is going to be very rare that this happens uh, because we, we're going to talk about some of the bad. We're talking about this in the form of a loss. But Duke was better than Miami in the following categories. Field goal percentage three-point percentage, free throw percentage, rebounds, and assists. Usually you win basketball games when you're better than the other team in those five categories at the same time. So uh, a tribute to, I mean, they had a couple of times where they went down early and then they had that 13 nothing run in the, in the first half. They went down a little bit in the second half. They also had another run. They kept sticking to what got them there. They also kept fighting to get back into the game. Even, I mean, we, we were inside a minute, up three, when the minute before we were down four, they were able to climb back into the game at different stretches. They just weren't able to hold it off. So I will give them credit for sticking with it, trying to fight to get back into it. And even when things weren't going well on the offensive end, they still were able to outperform Miami in all those categories. We talked in the preview about how Duke is going to have the advantage in this game on the glass and how Duke brings Paulo and Mark Williams and Wendell Moore to the table where Miami's guys just aren't quite at that level. And that exactly played out the way that we thought it would. Uh, another, another big takeaway from this, I think, Donald, is that Duke is able to impose itself uh, in, in the rebounding category, both at the offensive and defensive ends. Um, Miami doesn't doesn't really go much for offensive rebounds. So, so they're sort of giving them up there, but, but even at the other end of the court, um, Duke was fighting for, for their own offensive rebounds when Miami was on the defense and, and that played out well. And, and if the turnover margin was even a little bit more normal in this game, uh, Duke w wins still maybe a close one, but it could have ended up being a six or seven point Duke victory without much difference in the stat line. And another thing that I thought we did well on defense is that we did exactly Jason like we said in the preview we forced them to take wild shots problem is they made a lot of them um and they made some at key moments but that that's something that as is frustrating but it's not something that is of concern if that makes sense right like you you want to make it where you're you're forcing the other team to take bad shots now if they go in that's just you kind of chuck that up and you say hey it's it's a that's a w in the sense that you did what you were supposed to do was a W for them as well because they were able to make the shot. So, again, credit to the defense for making it so that Miami had to take some really bad shots and, again, make some bad decisions with the basketball. They did have a couple of throwaways where, you know, they, they tried to the, – the few times that Miami tried to pass it to someone else, it went out of bounds. So that's probably why they our steals were down is because they weren't passing the basketball after, like, the first 15 minutes of the ball game because they knew they couldn't against Duke's defense. Duke was really forcing them – to make bad decisions. It's just that 
you know, Miami got lucky a few times, especially in the second half. So you guys stole uh, my two things I was going to uh, note as the good things from this game. The first was was the rebounding, and and I I I do want to point out some some stats in in that regard. So Duke wins the rebounding battle, forty four to thirty. Duke had five different guys get six plus rebounds in this game. Miami had zero. Not a single player on Miami got more than five rebounds. Um, and and speaking of you know stat stuffing a little bit, I I, I did. There were two guys for Duke that I just thought had great you know, stat lines, even if, you know, maybe one of them didn't have the greatest game. Wendell Moore had 12 points, 12 rebounds and seven assists. I mean, like, come on, that's like, that's a monster. He also had six turnovers. We're going to get to that a little bit later, <laughs> uh, but you know, 12, 12, 12 and seven big game from Wendell and, and Mark Williams had 12 points, seven rebounds and six block shots. And Miami was utterly terrified to come into the lane and take a shot when Mark Williams was in there, Miami repeatedly, like Donald mentioned, they liked to do it on their own, not make passes. And, and they would come into the lane and, and put three or four fakes on, you know, Mark Williams is there. They're, they're pump faking him and he's waiting and waiting. He showed really good discipline. Um, he's, he's just a, you know, he's just a sophomore, but he plays with, with some degree of experience, I think in their, um, in terms of shot blocking. And I, I thought he did an outstanding job of controlling the paint when he was in there. There were a number of times late in the second half where I kind of wished that Mark Williams was in there protecting the basket, um, but but we didn't have him in there. So, and then the- <clears throat> wasn't, there, wasn't there a time, wasn't there a time, I believe in the first half where Mark Williams on one end, he, he got the dunk and then like they immediately tried to run down and then they like looked back and, and they're like, all right, we have no one, behind let's just go to the hole and then they turn around and mark williams is standing right there as if he appeared out of nowhere he like <laughs> lightly again blocks the shot and kind of taps it to himself and we go out on another run for another uh another basket at the other end he did that a couple of times i want to say during the game where he was able to make an impact on the offensive end and then immediately make an impact on the defensive end or at least force a shot or block a shot allowing us to go the other way i wish we had seen more more of that last night because you know, Mark Williams is very good at getting up and down the floor. And when he's in that groove, it's hard. He's one of the, I won't say he's one of the fastest players on the court, but it feels like he is because he can get up and down and he knows that he has the opportunity to make an impact at both ends of the court. Yeah. So, uh, so gentlemen, if you don't uh, object too much, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get us over to the bad. Um, and, and we're kind of going to segue here because Donald was talking about something. Uh, he was talking about that Miami making, difficult bad shots it's something that he mentioned as i said in the preview and something that we saw again and again in in this game and uh, you know and, and donald you also talked a little bit about duke not getting a lot of steals and coach k talked about that and i wanted to mention this this is really interesting um he talked about the fact that miami's a really good ball handling team and that duke didn't expect we were going to get a lot of steals against them i mean part of that is because they they tend to just take it themselves. They create shots for themselves as opposed to passing a lot. And Coach K mentioned that Duke decided to play a half step off on defense, that, that we, we intentionally sacrificed our ability to get steals a little bit because we were trying to prevent them from driving and also prevent them from getting back doors. Miami's a team that loves to backdoor. And Coach K said, even though we were doing that, we got backdoored again and again in the second half. He was clearly frustrated about that in the postgame. And he said that backdoor, you know, backdoor cuts like that are often a result of you being a little bit tired on defense, that our conditioning still isn't where it needs to be. And 
by the way, Coach K was absolutely right that we weren't going to get many steals. You know, he said, you know, because we stepped off, because we knew we wouldn't against Miami, we only got two steals against Miami. And and I wanted to note not just Coach K's post game, post game, but Jim Laranega. He pointed out he was. It's, this is really interesting. He was asked, "Hey, you got four out of five starters in double figures. You know, didn't that isn't that great?" And he was like, "Yeah, that's fine, but I want to talk about the fifth guy." He talked about Sam Wardenberg, who only had two points. But Sam Wardenberg, their center, had five assists. Now, Miami only had eight assists as a team. Really no, low number. They had, But they got five assists out of their center because Sam Wardenberg would get the ball in the high post and they would backdoor us again and again and again when he did that. And for a dude who only scored two points, to find a way to help his team to win with assists. He also blocked three shots, by the way, Wardenburg. They only had four block shots. He blocked three of them. I, I, you know, it's, it's part of our bad, but part of our bad is that we allowed guys on Miami to excel. And, uh, it, you know, it was, it was somewhat frustrating to watch. And by the way, I knew Duke was in trouble in this game when, when it was tied at the half and Miami was just like one of nine or one of 10 on three pointers in the first half. And I was like, that's not going to sustain it. This is a good three point shooting team. That's not going to sustain itself. We're in trouble. Yeah. You don't want, you don't want to be tied against a team that, that has just played poorly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they, 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 they came out and played better in the second half and, and were able to turn up the pressure on Duke and make a few more shots, which, uh, w- w- which was not encouraging. And Duke wasted a few opportunities right there at the end of the half at the end of the first half. I think I should have been more worried. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it like that, Jason. I was just thinking, look, Duke can get can kind of cruise to the end of the half here, maybe be up a few points. And I didn't really think about the fact that they gave up a lot of easy baskets and didn't make any in return. So Miami went on a little run right at the end of the first half, which is what Duke should normally be doing to uh, to stretch the lead. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, the other time I got super worried. Um, in the second half, we started to get a lead. We were starting to stretch it out a little bit. And, and suddenly Isaiah Wong... And Charlie Moore made just some ridiculous shots, you know, like, you know, step back threes and, and, you know, falling away, it just one from 30 stuff. feet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and suddenly Miami tied the game up again. And it was, I, I didn't write down the exact time. It was, I want to say it was around maybe the 12 minute mark or so. And I was like, oh man, I really thought, you know, it looked like Duke was about to be up double digits and we we're going to cruise. And suddenly this game's tied again. I was like, we're, we're in real trouble now. And, and that's where Miami then really started to get the lead. Donald, you know, take it a little bit. Let's talk more about the bad. Yeah, I, I want to go back to Sam Wardenberg because I thought he played very well. And you mentioned those backdoor passes. You mentioned what Coach K said about them. I was talking to my best friend last night, and it, we both kept saying it felt like we were playing in quicksand where you just kind of, you know, you knew your body wanted to go in one direction, but it was just going a slight half step slower. And because of that, Miami was able to get behind the defense time and time again and make layups. And, and when it comes to Sam Waterberg, if you recall, I mentioned he had been out the last few games. He came back against Syracuse midweek from COVID. Before that, Dan Gak was the, was the guy that was kind of coming, was the starting lineup guy at, at the five. And he played like four minutes last night because yeah, he, he was a non-factor was and Wardenberg was again, great. Yeah. They are a much different basketball team when he's in a game versus Sam Wardenberg, and it's clear because Dengak cannot pass. Dengak is not a, a force on the offensive glass, and he is not a force on the on the defensive end. He's just—I mean, he brought him in. They brought him at the end of the game because Mark Williams is seven-one, 
and Dingek is like 6'11". So they're like, okay, well, we got to put the big guy on the big guy for the last play of the game. But for the most part, he was the, he was a non-factor during the game. Sam Werderberg really made a difference. And, and like you said, Jason, he, he had most of the assists. He had most of the blocks because he was, again, making an impact on both ends of the floor. And it just felt like our team knew what was coming and still was not able to react to it. And I think that is a credit to Miami and how they were able to execute. But also for Duke, yes, they're still a little bit rusty. And I think Coach K uh, said that many times last night. The word rust appeared in his press conference quite a bit because he was talking about how these guys just aren't back to 100% with the, with the execution yet. All right, Sam, I'm going to come to you for what I think is the big topic in the bad. Um, you know, Miami had four steals in the first five minutes of this game. <laughs> um, they ended that the first half. They had 11 steals in the first half. Duke had 13 turnovers in the first half, our worst turnover half of the year. Sam, God, what was going on with the turnovers? It was awful. It was Miami displaying strength uh, in, in their experience and, and having the game plan to know where Duke is going to be making passes, where they're going to be, you know, trying to get, get uh, clever with the ball uh, down low. There were a few times where, where Duke would be driving into the lane and it felt like had kind of that downhill momentum. And, and this happened to a few of Duke's players. This is not, I, I don't think I need to single out anyone for Duke. There were a couple of times where the ball's going downhill and all of a sudden Miami knows exactly where to poke it out and exactly uh, where the, where things are going to get soft, where someone's going to, to leave the ball unattended as they're, as they're, you know, turning around to make a post shot or, or going in for a layup. So a lot of like end of the offensive possession where right before the shot, like a, a lot of them you could have classified as like pre blocks was the, was the feeling I had. And that's, that's anticipation. And that's, and that's game planning for Miami. And we talked about how their experience was going to be, was going to be key here that they know how to, how to break down teams like this. And, and Duke played exactly into that. Duke did not take uh, easy baskets in this game. And, and I mean, weren't making a lot from outside anyway, but, but not a lot of creativity on the offensive end for Duke, which allowed Miami to anticipate a lot of where the ball was going. And we've talked about how Duke hasn't made things easy on themselves this year with a lot of ISO in the offense and, and not, not a lot of good crisp ball movement. We saw a lot of that last night where Miami was able to anticipate and get all those steals. And by the way, all, almost all of Duke's turnovers were steals. It was not, it was not Duke being Duke being sloppy. It wasn't like, like Duke was just throwing the ball away or, or traveling or something. It was, it was Miami, you know, having the game plan. And so you have to give some of the credit, I guess, to, to coach Laraniega for, for having those guys ready and having their hands in all the right places. Yeah. Uh, so to, to, to put the numbers behind what you were just saying there, Duke has 17 turnovers on the game, 15 of them. 15 of the 17 turnovers from Miami steals. Um, Wendell Moore had six turnovers all by himself. As I mentioned earlier, he spoke in the post game, uh, Sam, I know you didn't think you thought it was Miami, but he, Wendell said Duke was lazy, that they were sloppy. They made lazy passes. He said, we dribbled the ball into double teams too often. We dribbled the ball off our legs. He, he specifically did that at one point and Wendell called himself out for it in the post game. Um, well, uh, he's, He's got the, we, we've talked about how Wendell has, it seems like he's got his head screwed on the right way. And he's going to take, he's going to, you know, probably take more of his share of the blame than he needs to. I think this was, this was Miami winning this game more than it was Duke. Obviously when, 
when Moore is dribbling the ball off of his foot out of bounds, then yeah, that's him. Uh, but, but I think for the most <laughs> part, maybe he wasn't giving Miami enough credit for, uh, for how well they were, they were prepared for the way that Duke plays offense, which is, I, I've, I've sort of been thinking about this the last few weeks. Duke is consistently in Ken Palm every week. The, def- the offense is rated a little bit higher than the defense. And that doesn't pass what I'm seeing in what I think of as the eye test. Like, I feel like Duke's defense is better than Duke's offense. But uh, because it feels like the offense doesn't have as much flow, but that doesn't matter if Paulo Bancaro can just ISO guys and, and hit shots from anywhere on the court over them. So we're, we're kind of making up for a lack of, of really advanced, you know, offensive skill, like as a team by having individual offensive players who are so good. You, you know, you, you were talking about Wendell Moore and, you know, taking responsibility and the such and not crediting Miami in the post game, his comments, he was really harsh on himself. He said he takes full responsibility for this loss. He said he didn't lead the team late that when we had, uh, you know, a lead in the final minute, he's like, as, as the team captain, as the most experienced guy, it's my job to make sure we get over the finish line in games like that. And I didn't, I was like, wow, you know, Wendell was really, really harsh on himself. But before we get more to that final minute, because we're going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, Donald, I'm going to let you have a couple comments about the turnovers. Um, God, it really frustrating. Yeah, and, and really when we're talking about some of these steals, I, I mentioned that we led, the, we led Miami in assists, right? We had 19 to 8. There was a stark difference in how we were passing around the basketball and how they were. But that's also a reason why we only had two steals and they had 15 is because we were – you know, at a certain point, Miami, as I mentioned, just said, nah, we're not going to pass the ball anymore. Whoever has the ball is your, yours for the, for the shot clock. Do what you want to do. And, you know, Isaiah Wong, you know, Charlie Moore, and even Jordan Miller, like Sam Wardberg, there wasn't a lot of passes going around on the, on the Miami front. They were just trying to look to score. Cam McGussie was doing a lot of backdoor, uh, backdoor slashes, getting to the whole scoring. So the idea is when we were passing, there was a point where, the pump fake should have entered the conversation. And we didn't do a lot of pump fakes. When, when a team starts to figure out where you're passing the ball, it's, it's good to try and make it so that they have to keep guessing. And there was definitely times where we could have, you know, as especially the ball is working its way around the perimeter, we could have taken the ball, pump faked it one way, and went back the same way where a couple of guys would have been open for a shot. We didn't do that. And there was a lot of times where we would drive and do the dribble drive and then kick to the wing or kick to the corner. We were doing that just fine, but we were doing it in a way that made it where we couldn't pump fake or we couldn't fake one way and go another way because we were in the air or we were in the process of picking up our dribble. And because of that, Miami knew exactly where the ball was going to go because there was only one way for the ball to go. So they were just able to take one step, be in that passing lane, and they were able to steal a lot of basketballs that way. So it's not, again, I think this is more execution. Miami did a great job on their end of figuring that out in stepping into passing lanes and they were very good at being active on defense on our end is about execution, always having it where you're in a position to do three things, dribble, shoot, or pass. And there's a lot of times where we reduce ourselves to one, which is the pass. And because of that, teams are going to be able to step into that passing lane and figure that out very quickly. All right, guys, we got to talk about that final minute. Really the final 30 seconds to me is the most significant part of it. Duke's up three 74 to 71. Miami has the ball. Charlie Moore just makes an absurd, like, you know, you don't want to call it luck. It was ridiculous. It yeah. was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I, I mean, 
there, there's, there's certainly skill. There's tremendous skill involved in getting hit, falling down and tossing the ball up and having it go in. But there's also a good bit of luck involved. Um, but then he misses the free throw. Duke, uh, you know, on a day when Duke dominated the boards, we fail to get the, the rebound that mattered. And, and by the way, I, I think the reason, if you go back and watch, I, 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 I hit the little rewind button on my, on my remote about five times on that free throw. And to me, a, a lot of what happened was Sam Wardenberg. I don't want to say he fouled Paulo, but he, he sort of got tangled up with Paulo and it prevented Paulo from getting that rebound. And as a result, Miami gets the rebound on the free throw. I can't believe they're like literally one of the worst rebounding teams in the entire conference. One of the worst rebounding teams will play all year. Um, offensive rebounding, at least gets a rebound on a free throw miss in the final 20 seconds, like crazy. So then Miami takes the lead and then Trevor Keels uh, takes what only can be called an, a, an ill-advised shot. When Trevor Keels put up that shot in the lane where he was, he was moving. I think he was hit. He probably was anticipating getting a foul call. Um, he had, he had three teammates wide open on the perimeter. And in fact, uh, AJ Griffin was standing in the corner with no one really close to him. AJ's man had come into the lane to help on Trevor Keels and AJ was right in Trevor's line of vision. I, I, I really don't know why what, what probably should have happened in that play is that Trevor kicks it out to AJ. The defense goes to AJ and AJ had a kick to, I believe it was Wendell Moore who would have been able to, you know, tie his shoelaces and check the wind speed before shooting what would have been a wide open three pointer to give Duke potentially the win, but it didn't work out that way. All right, guys, the final minute, Sam, I'll come to you, uh, you know, really frustrating. What was, was it more a function of, of Miami getting lucky or Duke executing poorly? I think it's got to be Duke executing poorly in those last few seconds. If you took the numbers off the jerseys and were just kind of watching that, you would think that Trevor Keels was the star of the team, given given what a bad shot he took in in those final seconds. Like that's the kind of thing that like Michael Jordan and LeBron James are allowed to do because they're Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And Trevor Keels has been very good for Duke this year. I don't think that he's so far and away the best offensive player that that he should be taking shots like that. To your point, Jason. Uh, he had he had options and AJ Griffin's a, a better outside shooter. Paulo Bancaro, like why isn't Duke trying to get to get Paulo open in those final seconds? And, and and obviously, you know, you prefer to have the the timeout, which Duke didn't have at the end of the game. And I don't, you know, but it, the point being, that's not that shouldn't prevent Duke from being able to to run an offense at the end. Like like they've they can do this in practice. They can work on. There's only a few seconds left in the game. You know, it's under 10 seconds. You have the ball underneath. Now run up and make a play, get Paulo open for whether it's a three, whether it's him in the mid range, uh, you've got to have, you got to have multiple ways to get him or Wendell Moore or AJ Griffin open. And the, the offense at the end of the game can't just be Trevor Keel's hero ball, taking a a, a mid range shot. Uh, I, I was really disappointed in that. And, and I don't, I don't mind it getting chippy under the basket when, you know, when they were going for the rebound after the, the missed free throw, because that's, what's going to like, if, if it, if the roles are reversed, um, Duke is going to, is going to play tough there too. And is, and is trying to be, you know, trying to be physical and the refs are not trying to call excess fouls at the end of the game there to slow things down. It's exciting to have it this way. I'm just going to first off chalk up, that last play, the last minute to just a bad omen. And that bad omen was uh, our, our boy, JJ Reddick was in the building. Uh, and, and usually that is a, a nice welcome back, but 
even JJ missed a free throw last night, um, which, you know, as, as we all know, he probably missed like 12 in all four years that he played in Cameron. Uh, he missed one that would have given money to the Duke Children's Hospital. That was the bad omen for the game. As soon as that, as soon as we saw that on TV, all my friends were texting me saying, well, if, if anything bad happens, it's because J, not even JJ can make a free throw because everything was just sloppy on the night. But on that last play, I don't think Trevor Keels was destined to have that basketball because of the way the play kind of transpired. The, I don't think the play that was drawn up was for Trevor Keels to come out to, thir- to 30 feet and catch the ball and shoot. I think it was an, he was one of the maybe the third or fourth option on that play in the first two or three were covered tight. And because of that, and no timeout, like you said, Sam, they couldn't just call a timeout and try and drop another play. They had to go with what was open. He was the only guy in that play that was open. So again, that's lack of execution. Um, There was some people on Twitter kind of talking about why Mark Williams wasn't in the game on the free throw, but we should be able to box out on a free throw. Uh, Again, those sort of things. And then right after that, Cameron Bergusti getting the ball and then just slashing to the rim and just somehow getting the ball over everybody and it arcs in. Those are things that, again, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. J.J. Redick misses a free throw in Cameron. Things like that happen in the final minute. Uh, I'm not using it as an overly, as a big cause for concern. I just think the rust is still there. Execution's still off. And those are small things that cost us this basketball game. I will say, Jason, your favorite stat that you always like to talk about, field goal attempts. We, uh, we had 11 fewer attempts at the basket than Miami did. We only lost by two. Why? Because we had 17 turnovers. If we have half of those, if we have five less, we probably win this basketball game. The point about Russ, Donald, I think is important, but I don't think it, it can explain enough about how like Duke had a clear talent advantage in this game and had gotten the chance to shake off the rust a little bit with a game before this one. So I, I don't want to keep making excuses for them after it feels like they've gotten back into the rhythm and after they've figured out sort of what the rotation looks like. I think that's an excuse for, for two weeks ago, not for yesterday. Okay. Well with that, no more excuses. The blue devils uh, have taken their first ACC loss, uh, just their second loss in the season, but you know what? Hey, newsflash, the season continues. It's just one game. Uh, you know, sky has not fallen. <laughs> uh, we, we will be back in action. Blue Devils will on Wednesday against Wake Forest. We will have a preview. And boy, have, have we told you our previews. We, we, we predict things. We know what's going to happen in these games. <laughs> our preview of the surprising Wake Forest Demon Deacons coming up right after a quick break. Okay, and we're back from the break, and it's time to look ahead to the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, a a club that has been probably the most surprising team in the entire ACC this year. They currently stand at 13-3, and 3-2 in the ACC. Uh, They look like they were swooning a little bit early in the ACC schedule. They they dropped two games to Louisville and Miami, and and you sort of thought, oh, maybe this, you know, maybe Wake was an illusion all along because they were 11-1 and to start the season. But they righted the ship in this past week, and they beat both Florida State and Syracuse. Um, beat Florida State pretty handily, beat Syracuse in overtime. 
so Wake now stands at three and two in the ACC, 13 and three overall, like I said. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to go to Donald first and let him tell us a little bit about what we need to look forward to against Wake Forest. Well, you mentioned a couple of things, right? They, they've had some key wins, which is, you know, we, we talk about the ACC. We've talked about how down it has been so far this season. And, and key wins are things that are, are hard to come by. And Wake Forest has quite a few of them. Florida State, as you mentioned. Syracuse, as you mentioned. They also beat the breaks off Virginia Tech back in December. And they beat Northwestern in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So we, we are looking at a team that can play basketball. They, they've had some uh, key wins. They've also had some pretty difficult losses. Uh, LSU was one. They barely lost to Louisville. And they, again, they had a shootout with Miami uh, last weekend and uh, lost in that game. I'll go back to that Miami game because I think it was important. There's a lot of things that they did in that game that we should look for in this game. One thing is they don't quit. Alondez Williams is terrific with the basketball. He's going to fill it up. He's going to score points. And when it comes to him and when it comes to Jake LaRavia, those guys are going to have the ball and they're going to try to go to the basket. Alondez Williams leads the team in points, rebounds, and assists. And when I say that he is a guy that you want to watch out for, they really need to do their homework and be ready for him. The one thing that Wake does, though, that they did a lot in Miami, maybe that's a product of Miami, but it also is something that they do from time to time. Whenever the opposing team makes a basket, they are going hard the other way. They do not stop. They are not one of those teams that casually takes the ball out and looks to establish an offense. They are looking to go right back down and put it right back in your face. So we need to watch out for that. Transition defense. And transition doesn't necessarily mean when we turn the ball over. It means at any point when the ball goes into the basket or we lose possession of the basketball, we need to make sure we're hustling back because that is where Duke has been a little shaky this week, has been in that transition. And just on defense, again, quicksand, step slow, half step slow, mind, body, spirit, all that things. Wake is going to try and take advantage of that. So we really need to watch out for that. And also really think about Wake is they do take a few threes. They aren't great at making threes. I believe they shoot like 33%. Jason, I know you talk more about that, but they're going to try and spread the floor out because they want not necessarily to shoot the three, but they want to be able to drive to the basket. They want to be able to score inside. So uh, we need to watch out for that and make sure that everybody, our, our perimeter is tight, but really our inside presence. Again, we should out-rebound them. We should be pretty good against Wake Forest and doing that. And really the, the emphasis is going to be on making sure we establish that rim protection. Mark Williams is going to be important. Honestly want to call out Theo John and say, I need him to be big this week because when he's in the game, I don't need it to be a, like a step down and, and where guys think that they can go to the rim again, be the rim protector that you can be that we've seen so far this year. Theo John needs to step up and, and this week be that guy that when, when Mark Williams comes back in the game, they go, oh, man, we just got done with this guy. That's what Theo John needs to focus on. Paul Bancaro needs to focus more on defense as well. But those three, if they can really establish the paint and say, hey, this is our paint, you're not coming in here, Wake Forest is going to have a long day. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Wake Forest advanced stats for a moment because uh, this is a team that um, – you know, they're, they're one of the most surprising teams in the country this year. There's no question about that. Uh, they were not expected to be nearly as good as they are. Ken Pomeroy says Wake is the 53rd best team in the nation. He has them 49th on offense, 67th on defense. So they are, 
you know, sort of equally reasonably good at both ends of the floor. Um, this is a road game. This is, you know, uh, after Ohio State, this is Duke's only second road game of the season. And uh, with Wake being as good as they are, this is a quad A opportunity for Duke. Uh, and Duke doesn't have a ton of quad A opportunities on this season. Um, that both means it's going to be a tough game. And it also means it's an important opportunity and really important for Duke's resume. Um, Wake is a super experienced club. Of the six guys who play the most minutes for them, five of them are seniors and one of them's a junior. <laughs> this is going to be, we're playing against men here. These guys really know what it takes to win a college basketball team. They are. Do you think, Jason, that yeah. the game against Miami is, is a bit of a uh, preview for Duke in terms of playing experienced guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, and, and playing, you know, not entirely the same, but somewhat similar styles in that uh, Wake is also a team that likes to take the ball to the basket. They, they work really hard to get a good shot. This is, a, I was stunned at this stat when I looked it up. Wake is the fourth best two-point field goal team in the country. They hit almost 59% of their two-point shots. That is super impressive. This is a team that doesn't take bad shots. And, they, you know, they're, they're, they're not a, a great offensive rebounding team, but they don't have to be um, if you're going to hit 59% of your two-point field goals. Uh, they are a good defensive rebounding team. And like I said, you know, with an experienced team, it's like they know they don't need to waste energy trying to get offensive rebounds they're not going to get. But when it comes to defensive rebounding, they work hard. And, and, and it's worth noting, they're not small. For the, for the first time, you know, in a little while, Duke's playing a team that has some legit size. They've got a seven-footer. Uh, they've got like, you know, three or four other guys who are 6'8", 6'10". And Duke will quite frequently, most of the time, Wake Forest has three guys over 6'8", or 6'8", or taller, I should say, on the floor at the same time. So... You know, usually Wendell Moore is guarding a guy significantly smaller than him. And that is not going to be the case in this game. It's going to be very interesting to see um, how, how Duke tries to match up with this, this team. And, and this Wake team, the last thing I'd say about them is that they, they, they don't turn the ball over very much. Like Donald said, they hit about a third of their threes, which is okay, but they, they don't shoot a ton of threes. They, you know, they're sort of right in the medium kind of area in terms of shooting threes. Everything about them screams we're experienced. We know what we want to do, and we're going to make sure that we do the things we want to do. And then the last thing I wanted to mention, uh, Donald mentioned Alondis Williams. Uh, there may not be a more improved player in the country this year. If you look at what that guy was at Oklahoma last season, he, he's a transfer. Last season at Oklahoma, he averaged six points per game, two rebounds per game. He hit less than 20% of his threes. He averaged less than two assists per game. He was a non-factor at Oklahoma. And he has turned into an absolute beast at Wake Forest. 20 points per game, 6.7 rebounds, 5.1 assists. The ball is in his hands. He's making all the decisions for them and doing it right. Sam, you know, talk to me. I know you want to look specifically at the players. You got to start with Alondis Williams. If Wake's the most surprising team in the conference, he might be the most surprising player. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, a transfer from Oklahoma, that is the the theme for the for Steve Forbes's team, almost all of their rotation guys are uh, guys who, who they picked up on the transfer market. Um, Isaiah Mucius is, is back. He's a, he's a homegrown guy. Carter Witt is a local guy. He's, he's from the triangle area and is playing at wake, but basically every other contributor either transferred in this season or last season, Duke 
fans will remember Davian Williamson, who's still around. Um, he had been a transfer last year. And then when you look at, at the rest of the, the starters and, and the key rotation players for Wake this year, they're all transfers. Um, Alondis Williams, as you mentioned, transferred in from Oklahoma this season. Jake LaRivia uh, comes from, from Indiana State. Dallas Walton and Kadeem Sy are both big men, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Wake's got Wake's got size. Walton is a seven footer who transferred in from Colorado and uh, Cy comes from Ole Miss, although he had been at Virginia Tech. So he's at least a little bit familiar with the conference um, from from a few years back when he was a freshman. But Steve Forbes has done an excellent job of rebuilding this roster quickly through the transfer market. We've talked about how different the the transfer portal makes college basketball recruiting. And, and we we talked uh, during that mailbag episode recently about how, you know, should Duke be, be pursuing more players on the transfer market or what's the, what's the effective difference of getting transfer market players versus guys out of high school. And given that Wake Forest has played, you know, pretty well this year and is one of the better teams in the ACC, I don't know that they're definitely making the tournament, but the fact that they're, that they're more competitive this season shows how effective you can be at, at getting that experience. And Jason, you mentioned it's a lot of experienced guys. It's sort of a, it's sort of a double-edged sword because yes, there's a lot of college basketball experience, but it's a lot of college basketball experience playing in different conferences. You have, you have a Wake Forest team that's made up of guys who've spent most of their time pretty much all playing in, in different conferences, one from the SEC, one from uh, the Big 12, one from the Pac-12. So I think that's what's really fascinating to me about this Wake Forest team is, is the size and the way that Steve Forbes has kind of rebuilt the roster and turned it into a really different looking team than it was previously. Davianson and, and, and Mucius were, were two key players for them last year. Arguably now they're like, you know, the, the, the third and fifth best players on this team. Um, and, and that really speaks to, to Steve Forbes uh, uh, you know, roster building ability. All right. With that, we're done with wake forest and, uh, guys, before we roll, we do have to pick a player of the week for the blue devils this week, Donald, I'll come to you first, who you got, who, who is the guy you want to point out as the player of the week for Duke this, this week. Uh, I'm going to go with Paulo Bancaro. Uh, I think in a week where we struggled on the offensive end at times, he was a guy that was not struggling this week. Uh, I mean, I believe he had 37 points combined on the week. Uh, he also was great on the on the glass. He had he had grabbed a lot of rebounds. I thought he just had a presence throughout the week that we had come we have come to expect from Paul Bancaro. So I'm going to give him my player of the week. Sam, your turn. In an underwhelming week for Duke, I just can't bring myself to give it to any of the the stars. Like Donald mentioned, Paulo Bancaro, he turned the ball over six times across two games. And there are other guys that, that struggled with turnovers this week, but I, I just am trying to hold him to a higher standard. I'm trying to do the same thing with Wendell Moore. Uh, they were both uh, Naismith Award finalists, uh, as, as announced earlier this week, and which, which I think is only like, it's only like 25 or 30 guys on that, on that semifinal list. Yep. So yeah. um, I, I want to hold Paulo Bancaro and Wendell Moore to National Player of the Year All-American um, type expectations. So I just can't give it to them this week. I'm going to give it to AJ Griffin, who I think I'm on a streak now with where, you know, he, he continues to only play in that 20 to 25 minute um, range. So he's still decidedly the sixth man. He's not, you know, maybe he's now getting like closer to Mark Williams's minutes, but in that time uh, he's hanging on to the ball better. He's one of Duke's most uh, efficient offensive players, especially this week. And uh, I don't think was as responsible for a lot of the sloppiness that we saw 
yesterday against Miami. So I've got AJ Griffin. Yeah, Sam, you you took the words out of my mouth. I was also going to take AJ Griffin, and I was also going to note that even though his stats were impressive this week, you know he he scored in double digits in both games. He's grabbing a lot of rebounds. He's doing all the little things. He's efficient on a team that has struggled with efficiency. Um, if you extrapolate AJ Griffin's um, all his stats, if you if you say okay, what would he be doing if rather than playing 22, 24 minutes, he was playing 32 or 34 minutes? You start to go, your eyes start to pop out. You know he he. He is, he'd be scoring 15 plus points per game and grabbing like eight rebounds per game. I mean, really impressive numbers. If, if you extrapolate it out, he is super efficient in the time that he's playing and he's playing some of the better defense, especially help defense. I think of anybody on the team. Um, I also sort of, I kind of looked at Mark Williams, um, who, who's another guy who I, I, like I said earlier in the podcast, I want us to figure out a way to get AJ Griffin Mark Williams and Paulo Bancaro on the floor together. And it's really tough. Um, but, you know, hey, I'm not getting into that now. We're into player of the week. And and AJ Griffin, I think, it, you know, was my pick as well, Sam. Donald, nothing wrong with p- picking Paulo. He was he was also in contention for this award. All right, so with AJ that, guys, we're going to wrap it up here on this edition of the DBR podcast, number 377. We'll be back. Um, If there's major news before the weight game, if not, we'll come at you after the weight game on Wednesday. Until then, please reach out to us. DBRpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. We'd love to hear from you. Heck, we'd love to hear if you think we should be playing those three guys I just mentioned on the floor at the same time. And also like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That way you can get every edition of the DBR podcast downloaded to your device as soon as we put them out there. That's what you want. You want to hear from us quickly. I know it. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thanks a lot for joining us. It's time for the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. By the way, did y'all see how far Duke fell in Ken Palm? Right. 13. Wow. We fell to number 13. Yeah. That's what happens when you lose to a team you're not supposed to. Did not like the home loss to number 92, Miami. No. Ken Palm was not a fan of that. Nope.